Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Feed for Service Dentist Podcast, Dr. Sonny Spira. Our guest today is Dr. Aaron Nicholas, and he's going to talk about his journey in dentistry from a startup to a almost going out of bankrupt after two years to recovering to now having all these insurance plans. So starting fee for service, joining all these plans, having all these plans come in and then getting out of them in a logical and a quicker fashion. And he just has a really nice tone, really easy uh, demeanor, uh, very interesting story. He also has some interesting stuff that he's getting involved with. We're going to have another podcast. We're going to cover some of that. Interesting and neat guy. I think you're all going to like him. As always, Fever Service Dentist Podcast brought to you by Kettenbach. Kettenbach has a brand new restorative product, Vesalis Fill and Flow. It's a light-cured nano-hybrid composite. It's highly filled, over 80%. High polishability very desirable in aesthetic restorative material and it provides high durability and great strength check it out folks it's a great anterior great posterior composite has good shade system very easy to select remember your costs are lower at kettenbach available direct to your office with no middleman cost to learn more or to order call kettenbach you have a rep in your area i guarantee it 877-532-2123. Reach out or you can hit them up on the web. If you like the podcast, click share, click like, subscribe. We appreciate it. Video versions are now available. They're all going through the Facebook page, and I'm sure they're available on other sites. I just don't know how to get to them. If you like the podcast, please click and share it. If you don't, please reach out to me. If you want to be a guest, reach out to me. Sonnyspira at gmail.com or you can text me or call me 607-624-2962. Relax. Enjoy the episode, folks. Appreciate you all. Thank you. My name is Drew Burns, and I'm a part of a small group of dentists who believe something crazy. We believe that the standard of care is just not good enough. We demand the best of ourselves and the best for our patients. We believe that the best way, no, the only way to practice dentistry is on our own terms. If you ask the dental consultants or the corporate CEOs, they tell you that what we're doing isn't smart, that fee-for-service dentistry is dead, and that the golden age of dentistry is over. Yet, while others focus on profits first, we focus on the patient first. And yet, our offices are some of the most profitable in the entire country because we invest in ourselves and we are doing things right. It's our name on the door, and it's our reputation on the line. My name is Drew Burns and I am a fee-for-service dentist. This is the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast, and these are our stories. Welcome to the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast, Dr. Sonny Spirit. Today, our guest, Dr. Aaron Nicholas. Let me give you a little background on Dr. Nicholas. Dr. Aaron, he has been a practicing dentist in Burtonsville, Maryland for 36-plus years. My age range. I like it. There you go. That means that he has successfully guided his practice through two recessions. I know all about those, too. He has seen it all, or most of it. He is a serial entrepreneur with a keen interest in teaching, coaching, and mentoring his fellow dentists. He is the founder of Monday Morning Dentistry and the Dental Assistant School of Maryland. In addition, he is one of the Black Belt coaches with the Dental Success Institute and an adjunct professor at the University of Maryland Dental School. Dr. Nicholas has spoken about dental efficiency and practice management, both locally and internationally, and has authored many instructional programs as well as conducted conducted hands-on courses across the U.S. So please welcome Dr. Nicholas. How are you doing? Doing good. Doing good. How about you? Doing great. We had, uh, folks, we had a little AV issue earlier. We worked through it. 
couple of old fogies battling it out, trying to figure out, <laughs> is it on your end? Is it on my end? It's is it all? It's is your it fault. I'm <laughs> <laughs> my daughter who's experienced. She's helping me from the back. Oh, she's she's losing her patience as she just told me so <laughs> we got it so so let's chat so so where'd you grow up where are you from where's home i'm from right here um i grew up in laurel maryland burtonsville maryland right there which is halfway between washington and baltimore uh most people don't know where burtonsville is even people in this area so it's just basically a crossroads um <laughs> and uh it was convenient. The area was growing. And so that's where I ended up uh, practicing. The future of fee-for-service dentistry is based in membership patience. If you need help starting your membership plan, or if your plan is too big for your team to manage, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com to set up your free membership growth solution demo with our team. All right. Most of the people from the area don't know where it's going. Okay, well. We'll we'll keep going, and I'm sure I'm sure I'm going to pick up the accent. So far, pretty good. That accent's not strong. I'm going to give you some credit for being there your whole life. That's good. See, I don't even think I have an accent, so I don't know what you're talking about. But that's fine. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you a pass so far. I'm not really picking it up. So I, right. you know, I, I interviewed a good friend of mine, and he's the basketball coach at Binghamton now, and uh, and and, uh, and every now and then, thang came out like the word thang. I was like, oh, there it is, mm-hmm. there it is. So yeah. So, so fill me in a little bit. What was uh, what was it like growing up? What were, what do your folks do? What was your environment like? So, my parents, both parents, were teachers in the end, uh, and then guidance counselors. My dad was actually an industrial arts teacher. Uh, my mom was from North Carolina. It's funny what you're saying about the accent because she wanted to go into theater, and so she worked really hard to get rid of her accent. But all the aunts and uncles on that side have a a very thick. Uh, North Carolina, like the gentleman's accent kind of thing. Yep. Um, yep. And and one of those brothers was a dentist, which is sort of where the interest uh, came from. Um, so, yeah, and, and growing up, just, you know, normal stuff, high school, uh, didn't play any sports, um, was a pretty decent student without really trying to uh, having to try very hard, and then went locally for college, as did most of the people in my high school class. And it was very affordable back then. And, uh, I, I commuted, so no big deal there and, uh, worked both through, um, college and through dental school. Um, you know, so just kind of what I would consider a normal childhood. So your uncle was a dentist then, does that, I understand that right? Yep. He was a dentist. Okay. Was he your dentist? Like, was he in your area? Um, he was in Northern Virginia and he was about 40 minutes away. So, you know, when it was time for a dental appointment, we drove down there and he would see us and then he'd take us out for lunch. Um, and it was really interesting oh, that's, because that's a little perk. Yeah, not too bad. Um, it was really interesting because I didn't realize he was a doctor until later on because we just went to see Uncle Roland. And, you know, and that's that's how we, uh, you know, we got our teeth taken care of, you know. So it, it wasn't until later, almost till I was in dental school, that I realized that dentists were doctors also. So which was a little a little yeah. interesting. So when did when did that become like a, a career path? When did it's when did you have the moment that said hey, it might be a dentist? I mean, were your parents? Sure. I mean, I'm, with teachers, I'm sure education was a valuable asset. Was was that something they talked to you about? Where did that come from? Yeah, they were. Um, it the education was a valuable asset. It wasn't a question of are you going to go to college. It's just which one are you going to go to and what are you going to majoring in is is what right. the deal was. Um, the original career path actually was to go to seminary and, uh, I got into, I got into college and I I did a couple of years and then I went to a young pastors conference in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, I was Baptist at the time and that's where one of the, I think Southern seminaries, the name of it was there. And they had like a young pastors conference, or if you're thinking about going into ministry and I, and I went, I drove out there and I went and I spent the weekend. And when I came back, I was really, really sure I should not go into the pastorate. That would just not be a, a good match for me. Interesting. So, so it you, wasn't. So you really, you really were like, you know, you really was, you know, going that route, and you investigated yep. it, and yep, good for you. But good for you yeah. for spending that extra, you know, energy doing that. Yeah. Well, you know, so I I went out there and I thought that would like solidify it, and when I went out there, it did solidify it, but it solidified that I shouldn't do that. Um, gotcha. and I just kind of, I just kind of decided, you know, I can serve people in another way. I can serve God in a different way. I don't necessarily be need to be in full-time ministry. 
So I, I don't think you and I have discussed this or not, but I've, I've actually gone on a mission trip almost every year uh, since I got out of dental school. Um, so, and that's kind of where I'm fulfilling that, uh, that, that uh, want uh, right there. So yeah, I, I did that yeah. and then I came back and now it's like, okay, well, we got to pick a different career path. And so I, I looked at engineering and I looked at uh, like psychology and I looked at a couple of other things. And then when I finally kind of landed on dentistry, I actually ended up working for that uncle one summer again to see, well, is this something I'd want to do or not? Um, and I'm like, you know, this is actually fairly interesting. Um, every Everybody else in the office, I wouldn't want their jobs. But like what he's doing is, is kind of interesting. I think I could do that. But the problem was now I've taken no math and no science for two and a half years. So I ended up, you know, squeezing four years of education into five. Um, and then heading off for dental school um, without an undergrad degree. So I did not have enough credits in the right spots to have a bachelor's of anything, but dentistry is a clinical degree as opposed to a, um, um, uh, an educational degree. That's not the right word, but anyway, um, as opposed to an academic degree. And so you can go to dental school without having to have an undergrad degree. And I did. Our show is sponsored by our good friends at Metadenta. Metadenta has served the dental community since the 1940s with award-winning innovation and a large catalog of dental products in most facets of dentistry. I personally use several of their products and recommend them to anyone I can. They are a sponsor of the program and are offering 30% off. That's right, 30% off anything site-wide at metadenta.com simply use the code ffsd30 at checkout and get your 30 percent instant savings from cr rated profi angles hygiene high-speed hand pieces burr endo whitening they more than have you covered their customer service is amazing and they are willing to walk you through an order at any time so if you have any questions give them a call at 800-221 0750 that number 800-221-0750 or send them an email at orders at metadenta.com and mention the fee-for-service dentistry group and get your discounts that's on i i've had there's another person i spoke to they had the same situation without the degree i i mean the amount of academics that you got to take in dental school it's like medical school i i just i i was surprised now let me ask you this did you get a degree, an undergraduate degree, post first year of dental school? Did they finally say, hey, listen, like, no? no? No, nobody really came to me and said, this is a possibility. And I didn't really pursue it because I was always like, I want to come out and be a dentist. I don't want to be a professor. I don't want to be a researcher. I, I want to treat people. And I didn't need it to do that. Um, and I kind of felt that dentistry was, cha- or the dental school was challenging enough as it was. Um yeah, it just didn't seem like a thing to do. Although, uh, you know, once I was through, I learned a number of things I didn't take advantage of that uh, and going out and doing uh, any kind of a post-dental school year, anything of that sort. I didn't even know that existed until like the last six months. And then I was like, yeah, I, I know I just want to go out and, uh, and practice. So I'll just go do that. All right. Okay. So where did you end up? Did you go to University of Maryland and, and then University of Maryland Dental School then? I did. I did. I actually, I went to the University of Maryland. I got accepted into Maryland Dental School. And then at the last minute, I had one of those hiccup moments. And I'm like, can I defer my acceptance for a year? And they were like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You can do that. So at the time, I was working at a JCPenney selling suits. Um, and I did that for a year. And at the end of the year, I wasn't any more sure that I wanted to be a dentist. But I was really, really sure that I did not want to be selling suits the rest of my life. And I didn't see that I was doing anything more important. So it seemed like going to dental school was a, a good choice. And my dad said to me, um, look, I'll pay for the first year of dental school. And if you don't want to go, then drop out, knowing that I've never quit something I started. So once I started, I was kind of in for the long haul, you know, and I, I think he sort of knew that. And once I got in, it was, you know, it was a little easier to stay in than to stand on the outside and go, do I jump or not? Did you start dental school a little bit older then? Or were you like 23? I was, let's see, I was 28 when I graduated. So that makes me what? Yeah, 23, something like that. 23, 24. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, right in there. Well, one thing for sure, I mean, you're not afraid to try things. I think, <laughs> I think we've established that, right? 
Well, you know, you, if, if you don't try it, you're not going to, you're not going to get the reward at the other end. So you might as well give it a shot. And the worst thing that happens is you change course. So, yeah. So, I mean, you learn how to pivot and do every, I mean, that to me, that's a life skill that is on un, as underappreciated nowadays, right? Like kids yeah. are on one path and like, Oh no, I hit a roadblock. Can, can you pivot? Can you, you know, how do you cope with that? Like, you know, it's, I, I'd love your attitude. So you're in dental school now. And were you planning the military component? I mean, what was your what was your plans while you were in dental school? Were you thinking, oh, I'm going to join my uncle? What were some of your thoughts in dental school? So I was in dental school, and um, I had a, my uncle was a, a dentist, and he did a startup um, in Northern Virginia back before, like Dulles Airport was there. And if you know the area, Dulles Airport's a big deal. Back before Tyson's Corner was there, there's now Tyson's One and Tyson's Two. Northern Virginia is just overrun with business, but he started when it's basically two crossroads. So, I mean, he was, he was solvent month one and just, over, you know, just never had any problem bringing patients in that sort of thing. And so that's my experience of what doing a dental startup was like. In the meantime, my parents had gotten divorced. My mom had got remarried and um, his son was a dentist in Winchester, Virginia, which is a little further to the West um, and he had gone and bought a small practice, et cetera, et cetera. And I had gone by and visited him a time or two. And he had said to me, Hey, you know, if you're interested, um, give me a call when you're getting out of getting ready to get out of dental school. And, you know, maybe we'll bring you in over here. So, so your I'm, cousin. my, it's my, my stepbrother. Oh, okay. My mom got remarried. So, yeah. Okay. I thought, okay. I yeah. thought, but what, I thought it was the dentist. Right. So my, son. my uncle was a dentist and then my mom got remarried and my stepfather's son was a oh, okay all right i'm sorry i was i thought the son was your uncle's son okay i'm sorry. yeah so no, okay no. so my so, stepbrother. all right so he's got a successful practice in another place and so right. so but you got a couple of different you know thoughts anyway so what, what did you do you sure. graduated residency did you go work what happened Talk about um so i i graduated um my uncle was old enough that he had since retired years before that so there was never a I'll go work with my uncle that was just never a plan Working with him was, was a matter of solidifying um, uh, a decision. So then um, I went to visit my stepbrother and uh, and we talked and he had had an associate come in that then tried to steal half his practice. And yep. he's the kind of guy where burn, burn me once and I am done. And that's where he was. He's like, I am done, your family, but I just can't, you know? And I'm like, that's fine. I, I understand that. And my last year of dental school, I had worked with Oh, I forget which department it was that was supposed to teach us about business of dentistry and that sort of thing. And I had there is no department. <laughs> yeah, I found that out. So I'll, I'll tell you a little bit of story about that in a sec. So I had basically been working with him. I'd gone to the the boards of planning for all the counties around where I was. I had looked around for a practice, didn't see anyone in a place that I would want to be at. Um, and so I eventually had decided that Burtonsville seemed like it's a pretty it was a pretty good place to open a practice. Um, and then I went ahead and I came out and I got a, and then in that time, my dad had passed away. He had left me a little bit of money, which then I wrangled with the bank to get a loan. Um, and so I did a startup in Burtonsville in 1988. Startup in Burtonsville. Okay. Yeah. Well, you have your uncle who did that successfully. And right. now you have a stepbrother who purchased a practice, right? Right. With right. two different entry styles. Right. And let me, can, do you mind sharing what practice style? Like, I'm assuming your uncle was fee for service, given the my nature uncle, where he was. Yeah. My uncle was fee for service and he, he had uh, rented this little house and then bought the little house and then subdivided and rented out uh, the upstairs to another practice. Um, and he was fee for service the whole time. My stepbrother. Yeah. Like, no, no. I'm just going to ask you. Keep going. You're on it. So what my stepbrother. Um, had bought a small practice in a small town, um, maybe two to three hours outside of Washington, D.C. Um, and it's really funny because a lot of people that live there think they're in a suburb of Washington because there's not much between them in, in D.C. It's all, um, well, it was, it was all very rural. Uh, in his town, there were only two other dentists. One guy was independently wealthy and liked to play the ponies. Um, and the other guy got his license yanked for abusing nitrous. So he had a pretty tight, grasp on the market because he was in there to work and to do the to do the job so okay again, so if, if if he's in practice and he doesn't have a gambling habit and he's right. not whacked out on nitrous he's gonna do okay 
Yeah. <laughs> and he did. He did really that's, well. That's some interesting parameters. <laughs> yeah. You got to look around for that, that kind of a situation, you know, to yeah. get it just right. So, but you know, if you can find more it, questions to great. ask on your interview, Hey, is this going on? So, so that's interesting. So his model was fee for service. I'm assuming then, right? Fee for service also. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So did you guys ever talk business? I mean, besides dentistry, I mean, I'm assuming at some point you guys had to, right? Um, for my for my uncle who was he was a dentist, but he was more a businessman than he was a dentist. And and he had lots of he was investing in raw land. He invested in the land where Dulles Airport went, where Tyson's went, you know, and did very well with that sort of thing. He early on had uh started doing rental houses. And as he described to me, they had to evict a um a tenant one time. And on his way home from the office, uh the rental house was on fire because the tenant was unhappy. And that was the day he decided he wasn't going to be renting houses anymore. Um, and that's when he started doing raw land. Um, so, you know, he he was very much into that. Uh, the summer I worked for him, uh, it was funny because I used to drive him around. He had a, a Cadillac. He's like, you want to drive? I'm like, yeah, of course I do. And so I, I basically ferried him around. But he would tell me stories, you know, and it was really interesting. And what he told me was, well, amongst the things he told me was that, you know, most young guys, they don't do well because they come out of dental school and they want it all. They want the big house. They want the fancy car. They want the want they want. He's like, and they never quite get the ability to become actually wealthy because they keep pissing it away on the the conveniences of life, basically. Oh, hold um, that thought. What okay. year was that? What year was that? So let's see. I went dental school in uh, eighty. Maybe 79. So I graduated high school in 77. Um, I sat out a year that makes it 78. I went into college that 79, 80. So, so probably between 80 and 81, right there. So that description from your uncle in 1981, mm -hmm. right? You can just change the date, scratch it right off. And I think that sentiment still exists in 2023. Oh, yeah. With people, well, of, let's say, of, of our good natured age, uh, will have a lot of the same sentiments. So, you know, what's really funny. Well, this generation, it's, it's not this generation. It's the other generation it, It's really all it is. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's always, the other guys. you know, the, the thing that I found really interesting is people complain about like staff and like, it's hard to find good staff. It's hard to good find, find good help and stuff. You look at movies from like the forties, like the rich people talking, they're like, it's so good. It's so hard to find good help anymore. You know, it's like, it's just the way it is. It's, it's, it's probably, well, right now, I think it's a little harder because, you know, unemployment's at record lows, but it's always been hard to find good people to work for you that you're in alignment with or that you can train up or, you know, however you want to see that. But I, I think it's always hard to find that. It's just fascinating. I'm, I knew there was, I, I wanted to put that in a time frame because I'm sure as you spoke and as I heard it, I was like, oh, that sounds exactly like today. Yeah. And I know that this was a few years ago. So, yeah. Okay. Have you ever, so, have you ever, have you ever heard of the book, The Millionaire Next Door? Oh yeah. Great book. Yep. Okay. Same concept. Exact same concept. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like, don't judge a book by its cover. Talk about that. Right. You know, like yeah. that was yeah. the message I took home. But, um, so you, you do a startup and do you, emulate those two models that you're more familiar with or what, what's your, what's your model when you're starting up a startup and what year did you do the startup? What year was it? 88. 88. Okay. I graduated yeah. 89 from middle school. So you were just, just a little bit ahead of me. Yeah, what, so, did, uh, what, what was your model when you started? Um, so I, I opened it up. It was, uh, it was plum for four ops. I put in two. Um, I opened up there. Remember that there's no internet. There's no podcast. There's no Instagram. There's, you know, there's no Facebook. So I put, took out an ad in the yellow pages, which yeah, at the time, yeah. our industry, like even frowned on that a little bit. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. Line. Oh, no, that's no okay. question. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. I started practice in 89. I remember like, yo, you, you, you're advertising, you know, you're the devil. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because, because if you, if you build a better mousetrap, the world will be the, a path to your door, which is completely not true. I don't know who said that, but like completely not true. So, um, I even did like some Valpac things, that sort of thing. So I get in practice in 88, comes around to like the beginning of 90. And th things are so slow that I've taken a job 
um, with a temp agency, uh, either working as a dentist or a hygienist, whichever it, it took, whichever was available. Um, in the two practices where I filled in for the dentist because one guy had a, a wrist surgery and I forget what the other guy's deal was, um, both of them offered to let me buy in, but I have my own practice. And so I, you know, I, I not really interested in doing that. They were both in a very nice area. They're in Annapolis, Maryland, which is, you know, very nice. Um, and so we're, we're kind of cooking along and actually before that, um, okay. So that was what happened after I realized I was going bankrupt. So what happened was I'm about a year and a half in and I realize I'm going bankrupt. I, I can look at my operating capital, which I didn't know that's what it was called at the time. It was just the money I had in the bank that was going away and there wasn't enough coming in. And uh, I actually sat down with the doc next door to me, who was a, um, a periodontist. And we had both opened the same day, just coincidentally. And so we both had a lot of time as we were building the practices. And uh, one day I was talking with her and um, I was saying, you know, I'm probably not going to be here in another six months um, because I'm looking at the money I have. And I, like, you know, it's just not growing fast enough for her. She would call the local general dentist, do a lunch and learn with the hygienist. And they would send her patients. So every time she needed patients, she would just do a lunch and learn. And that worked out fine. Um, my model of getting people in the front door wasn't working because we weren't advertising. And it just wasn't happening. Um, and at about that time, she said to me, well, you know, a guy on the next town over just hired this consulting company. And maybe you want to talk to them. And I'm like, there are dental consultants? I didn't even know that that existed. And back at that time, there were a lot less of them than there are now. I mean, now it's like everybody's a dental consultant. You know, there's one on every corner. Um so I ended up calling up that company and had the guy come over and we sat and talked for a while and they want you to sign, like they'll give you a month for free and then they want you to sign a year contract. And so I looked at him, I said, so um, how long before you think you can get me in the black? And he said, I think we can get you in the black in six months. I'm like, okay, that works out really well because I'm going to go bankrupt in about that same amount of time. So if indeed you don't, this doesn't work, you guys can get in line behind everybody else. And I guarantee the banks first, you know? And so that's kind of what he said, no problem. I signed the contract. Uh, I started working with them. We were in the black in six months. So that's the thing that kind of saved my tail. During that time, um, I also started working out, temping out as a hygienist and um, a dentist and that sort of thing. And I also um, had talked to my uncle and explained to him what was going on. And remember, he's a business guy. And he's like, well, what you need to do is you need to go buy the biggest practice you can find. And I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> I can, you know, I barely have, have things together with running the small practice. How am I going to do the big practice? He's like, well, you'll either figure it out or you'll go bankrupt. And if you go bankrupt, it doesn't really matter whether you go bankrupt big or small because you don't have anything right now. So, you know, take the shot, which I never did. Um, I figured I'd, I'd, run, I'd run the pony I had. Um, which ended up working out, but it was, it's funny because now so many years later, I'm like, Oh, that was really good advice. You know, maybe I should have done that. You know, he knew, he knew more than I thought he did. So, yeah. Okay. So do you want to share who you were working with or just leave it as a consultant? Um, I leave it as a consultant. I, I, okay. I think they were, they were really good at the time, but these days I would pick somebody different. So yeah, okay. I'd just rather not say. So you not only have to be in the black, you got to be in the black plus what you're paying them, right? So that adds yes. to your that's right. Yeah, that's part of yeah. As far as I'm concerned, that was yeah part of being in the black. Okay. So did did you at any were you a fee for service model? Were you insurance based model? Did you switch things? What what did you do in terms of your business model? Right. So I, I started out fee for service, and in that first year and a half, two years where things weren't going well, I signed up with a bunch of PPOs, which. I don't know what it's like now, but then like it would take six months to a year before you really saw all stuff rolling in from them. So just uh -huh. about the time I got in the black, I started getting a lot of PPO patients, you know, and, and at the time there were H are, are there HMOs still? I know there's tons of PPOs. Is the HMO model? Yeah, I, I don't hear that as much, but I remember that. I remember, I know what you're talking about, because this is right yeah. when I was getting into practice. It was HMO and then capitation plans started rolling in and, you know. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, so I signed up with both. I signed up HMO. I, I signed up with whatever I could find. You know, I'm, I'm kind of okay. struggling to, to, to breathe here. And so I'm doing whatever I can to infuse money and bring patients in the door. Okay. So now you're in the black, but now you're going to start seeing patients, a lot of patients at a discounted fee. Yeah. So my experience Talk about like the next step. Sure. So my experience with that was I got these HMO patients in 
And they would come in and they'd have all these, these uh, fillings that were like decaying. And yet they'd been seeing their HMO dentist for years. And I'm like, well, you know, and one woman, I remember she had all these buccal composites across the anterior. And I'm like, so what did your previous, I mean, when was the last time you went to the dentist? Oh, six months ago. And what did he say about this area here? Oh, he said he didn't know what it was. And I'm like, okay. And back then the deal was that you did fillings for free because you got your cap fee and that's what that was supposed to be for. And oh, those capitation to- plans. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So you, you, you got, got your cap fee. Treat them. Yeah. Yeah. And supposedly only like 30% of your patients were going to show up. Well, right. pretty darn close to hundred percent of mine showed up. So right. you're getting your cap fee. Now you got to do these fillings for free. And then everybody walked in the door had, had need, most of which could be fulfilled with fillings. And what was happening was these docs were ignoring it because they're going to lose money if they did it. And so I'm like, okay, well, you know, I agreed to do this. I'll do it. And so I was doing a lot of treatment for free. Um, and the thing that broke the camel's back was I had these two patients on this one day and the first patient came in and they needed a crown and I quoted them like $365 for this crown. And the patient goes, man, that's expensive. And I'm like, well, you know, you go through your thing. And, you know, and then I had a patient in the afternoon who wasn't uh, HMO or PPO, you know, and I quoted them like $900 for this crown. And he goes, that's expensive. And I decided right then I could deal with the whistling a lot better at $1,000 than I could at $300. I'm just like, I am done. And then uh, the only, the only common word in both those sentences is dollars. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And then, uh, and then I'm looking at our reimbursements and then MetLife had decided they were no longer paying for periodic exams. And I'm like, oh no, oh, absolutely not. And that day I pulled out, I didn't care, I didn't care if I went under, I didn't care what happened. I'm like, there is no way I'm working for free. I'm already working for free enough for you guys. And now you're going to tighten this down even more. Forget it. I'd rather go out of business. And I just went ahead and I did, you know, and you can't get off their rolls like in three months. It's like they want 90 days or six months notice and you do that. Then they continue to pay you at the reduced fee because, oh, we're so sorry. We didn't know. Um, and so you got to you got to unwind that. And then they don't take your name off their rolls because in order to get businesses to sign up with them, they need to show they have providers in the area. So my name kept being in there and we'd have patients calling up. We're sorry. We're not taking that anymore. Well, why is your name on the list? I'm like, you know, I can't control that piece. And so we got yelled at for another year, you know, before and, and three or four phone calls before our, our name finally came off the list. And then we kind of started moving forward. And then the thing you find out is that as soon as you start getting reimbursed at some sort of a reasonable rate, you lose a bunch of patients, you work slower, and you make the same money or more. And you're like, oh, well, that wasn't too painful. <laughs> maybe maybe we need to find the next crappy, uh, you know, HMO or PPO and cut that one too. You know, and you just kind of slowly work your way through um and real and that's how you kind of i guess build up your courage for lack of a better term so what was so your exit strategy really was part of it was an emotional knee-jerk reaction right because of the 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 lack of paying for periodic exams right but you also were recognizing the fact that 300 900 and you just started to become profitable and now that's all going to go down the toilet so did your consultant in that next six months did they step in and say anything or or what was your what was your pathway out? Let me ask you that. Okay. So you probably remember back when it was like everybody should be a cosmetic dentist. You know, uh-huh. everybody should be doing cosmetic. You should be doing all veneers and you, should, you know, just all that kind of stuff. And so they were kind of pushing in that direction. Um, in those days, also, a lot of the consultants were like, I'm a consultant for you, but you need to do what I did. So if I if I cut my teeth doing cosmetic dentistry, that's your that's your answer, and you need to come out doing that. Um, and they would push you in that direction. I feel like there's more flexibility now, um, but that was kind of the path out. And they were seeing that going, okay, well that worked. And then they were encouraging us to start a um, a referral program, so we got more patients coming in from our patients that were in office already. And they also started encouraging us to have some sort of an in office plan. So that was sort of the that was sort of the path out. So if you're going to take away this, you need to give back something. So if I'm going to take away you, us being PPO um, or HMO, in some cases, I need to give you another path to be able to stay in the practice if I want to stay in the practice. So we didn't keep all the patients, but by having those options of having an in-office plan 
it allowed people to stay in until their year came up and they could re-choose to have something different. And then they could choose something where they could continue with us. Um, we tend we tended to have a lot of people like leave. Oh, if you're not going to be, no, I'm not going to pay you more. And then they would go around to other PPO practices and they're like, yeah, we didn't like that experience. We're going to come in and, and pay you a little bit more money because we'd much rather have this experience than that experience. Okay. So when do you go, when would you say was your all back in full fee for service? What, what date was that? Was that two years after that? I'd say like two years. Yeah. I, I can't really point to a particular date. We just, we just kept cutting the PPO plans. And then like the last two were like, let's just pull off the bandaid. How bad could it be? And and that worked out fairly well. So, so as you cut them, right, as you cut them and you're, mm -hmm. you're going in this direction now for these next two years, you saw your income increase. Income went up. Yeah, for sure. Busyness went down slightly. Busyness, yeah. Busyness was quite a bit, actually. Yeah. Busyness, busyness went down because I don't, I don't remember how it happened, but like they, they had like reviews for the different plans. And on one of the HMO plans, somebody said, Oh, great guy tells great stories. And all of a sudden I had all these patients coming in going, Oh, I hear you're a really good guy. Tell me a good story. You know, I'm just like, okay. You know, I'm just talking. Um, you became the storyteller. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, that's great. I don't want more of you people. I want more people who are going to give me money, you know? Yeah, so, right. so all of a sudden I had all these HMO patients coming in. So that wasn't so great. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's funny. There was one person that their advice was, let's say they had four plans and they dropped the two worst ones. Right. So their, their plan is to, you know, act, you know, move. And then he goes, you have to make sure that the other two plans don't fill in the spaces you created by dropping the other two, you know, okay. because you're going to, you're not really going to make a big change, but if you leave those other spaces open and you put more regular paying patients in, you can't yeah. help but do better, right? Yeah. I mean, the other thing too is, and, you know, now I, I didn't know it then, and the 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 vehicle sport were let, were more uh, constricted back then. But now I'd say if you're going to drop the first two plans, up your marketing. Make sure you're bringing more new patients in the door because the chances are pretty good that every new patient that walks in the door is not going to be a PPO patient. You know, mm -hmm. you're going to get some regular fee for service. And I would still hit up the patients in your practice, even if they are PPO, um, to refer their friends and family because all of their friends don't necessarily have PPO um, insurance, you know? And then the other thing too, is if you have a bunch of patients from a place that you want more patients from, we even did things like run like little uh, um, healthcare fairs, you know, about dentistry in like the Verizon uh, headquarters down the road from us because we right. had a bunch of patients from there. The insurance was good. Um, so we went in there with a bunch of, you know, goodie bags and uh, information and, food and hung out for a morning and talked to whoever would come by, you know, and that sort of thing. And that also yielded pretty good results. Okay. So what would your advice be to a younger practitioner? Then it's a younger person, but a person who's new in there, maybe, maybe they're just come from different backgrounds. So military or they've had uh, experience in the corporate world and they're now going to go into private practice. What would be your advice to them? As far as running well, let's let talk either way. So startup or, or buying, what would your advice be? Okay. So um, I find that the military guys, if they've been in for a while, the military is usually pretty good about continuing education and having them getting their confidence up and that sort of thing. I find a oh, lot wait, of young Did you say confidence or competence? Yes. I, I said, I said confidence, but yes, confidence and confidence, both these okay. things. Both these things. Right, well, I, I just I, I heard it. And, you know, I'm, I'm still looking for that accent, by the way. But anyway, no, I just wanted to make sure what I heard. That's all. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, both those things because they're they're uh, they're usually fairly confident about their abilities and they're fairly competent. So you don't you know they 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 know what they're doing. Um, young docs that come out of dental school and then go directly into corporate. Basically, they've gotten no education or if they've gotten education, no one's been there to really help them. And if they have been there, they're trying to run them at such a speed that they have a hard time, like really getting their feet underneath them, you know, after coming out of dental school. So depending on the model, if it's uh if it's fresh out of dental school, I'd look for a really good associateship. And that's, you know, there's, that's fraught with all sorts of issues. And I understand that. Um, but I'd, I'd look around and see if I can't find a good doctor to work under for a year or two. I came out, didn't do a residency, did it on my own, 
And it was probably a good five years before I really felt like I could handle what was coming through my chair. You know, I could, but I didn't feel really confident about it. And at times I wasn't quite sure what to do. Um, so anything that we can do to sort of collapse that time period is, is helpful. And that's that one business that you and I have talked about where I, I do some online coaching to help get that, get over that hump faster for the military guys. I'd say, you know, either a go out and do a de novo startup if you want, or look for a practice that's um, that you might want to buy because they've got the clinical skills and they, they have the space in their head to start um, concentrating on the business end of things. Now, some guys go in the military because they don't want to deal with the business end of things. If that's you, you know, look for an, a, an associateship, a partnership where, you know, maybe that's not your, the thing that you're going to have to deal with. But uh, coming right out of dental school, especially after coming through COVID, there's just a, there's just a large gap of, of an experience that young docs haven't gotten, you know, unfortunately, where I think the military helps to fill that in. They give them plenty of patience. They give them education and they have, and they have older docs around them and they have the time to, um, to kind of get their their feet underneath them after getting out of dental school. I know we're going to have a follow-up podcast, but let's you you touched on it. And sure. some of the educational things that you're now involved with, you you saw some demand some need and some demand for certain type of uh education for that dentist who maybe doesn't have that that broader skill set, what have you. Just, just give us a brief, you know, description of some of those things, and we'll, and we'll go into it in further detail in the other podcast. But mm -hmm. cover cover some of that now. Sure. So most of that came out of both my what I considered a horrific experience getting my my feet underneath myself for those first sure. first five years. Um, you pretty also, much described it. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. pretty horrific. Yeah. <laughs> so also. Um, I do a lot of coaching for the Dental Success Institute and what I hear from younger docs and what I hear from owner docs and, and where those pieces come apart. So the things that I that I do right now is I have a hands-on one-hour molar root canal buildup and crown course. So most guys have not done molars. And if they do do molars, it takes them forever. Um, and they just shy away from them. And so even if they are doing marketing, this patient comes in, they need a molar root canal. They can't do it. They send it along. So that makes that's you're basically a triage service. Okay. Um, then we have some, um, online courses, one of which is, um, we have that same course online. We also have a surgical extraction course, um, as well as a, a assisted hygiene course, but the surgical extraction course is because if you're marketing and you have an emergency come in, which is usually if you're trying to build your practice, either within another practice or on your own emergencies are people that need root canals, usually molars, or people that need extractions, usually surgical, because they've waited forever until it's blown up on them and they just got to get this thing out. If you can't do a surgical extraction, guess what? You're sending it down to the oral surgeon. Now you've become a very, you know, a very good triage service for your specialist, but it's not really helping you out a whole lot. So the um the surgical extraction course we have online and hopefully we'll have a hands-on by April of next year. So I'm working hard on, on getting that together. Then the other thing that I've been doing, mostly because of talking to owner docs is something called the 90-day clinical accelerator. So uh, owner docs, and I did it myself when, when I was an owner doc and had associates, um, you know, you hire this associate, you promise these young docs, you're going to mentor them. You're going to have a meeting every Thursday or whatever day it is. You're going to talk over cases. You're going to talk about stuff. I'll be in the office when you're in the office. And then all that starts to break down after about the first month. You know, they have a reason they can't come to the meeting. You have a reason you can't come to the meeting. And pretty soon you get a, a year down the road and the owner doc's frustrated because the associate doc's not producing any more than he was the day he came in the door. And the associate doc's frustrated because he's not producing any more than the, the day he came in the door. And he doesn't feel like he's gotten that mentorship that he was promised coming in. Um, so you got both those things going on. So the 90-day accelerator is basically... Um, we meet twice a week. Um, there's a concept on the first day. It's like office hours on the second day. Um, I show them the places where they can be more efficient with things. Um, one of the things that always frustrated me about dental school and in some courses is that a doctor will say, well, in my hands, this does this. And I'm like, just teach them the most efficient way to do it. At least then they have one path. And then if they want to swap it out because they like some product better than another product, or they'd rather do it this way than that way, at least 
they can now measure it and say, this is better than what I was doing, or this is worse than what I was doing. So if it's better, keep it. If it's worse, put it away, but you still have your, your baseline that you can work from. So the, the 90 day accelerator is to give them those kinds of skills and a baseline from which they can go ahead and, and move forward. And then there's just a lot of things that you learn. I mean, you know how it is. Um, that first five to six years in practice, there's just a lot of things that you learn. They can't give it all to you in dental school. You know, in dental school, they got to take you from being a civilian to being not harmful, you know, but that doesn't necessarily make you productive and, you know, particularly skillful. So I'm trying to fold that five years into a much smaller period of time. So it's like a, a 90 days concentrated thing. And then I always tell them, you know, I'm not sending you off in a robot to kind of figure stuff out. Just call me, text me, you know, let's talk if you have something come up. Um, and so that's that's kind of what the, the 90 day accelerator is all about. So the Dental Success Institute, is 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 this involved, are you involved with this via this or is this your own uh, venture, this, this uh, course? So the Dental... Yeah, the Dental Success Institute is um, the the company that Mark Costas started. He's the guy that does the Dentalpreneur podcast. Um, but I hired him at first um, as as my coach. And after about a month or two, he looked at me and said, you know, you don't really need me, right? And I was like, yeah, I know. I just need you to make me do what I'm supposed to do. That's, what, that's your value to me right now. And after a while, he's like, you know, if you wanted to help some younger docs, I think you could. And he invited me to speak at a couple of his uh, his things and eventually invited me to, to uh, do coaching with him. And so all of that was was great. And at some point, um, it was he kind of pushed me to start doing something. And that's where the one hour mobile canal building crown course came from. And then that all grew out of that that conversation with him. So um, I still do coaching for them. Um, I still do uh, events with them. Uh, I spoke at the last summit uh, this past year. And so that's been a, a very fruitful relationship and, and one that I value. Well, fantastic. So uh, we will, again, we're going to go a little bit further into the, we're going to dive a little deeper on that because I think that's a, a really neat model. And I think that's got a lot to offer a lot of folks, not just new to practice, but people who maybe want to uh, increase their breadth of services or just increase some of their efficiency and deliveries, um, you know, like you talked about. So uh any last uh advice that you would share with some of the uh some of our brothers and sisters out there yeah i'd say you know it's it's good to you know we have youtube university now and we've got all these these um uh facebook pages and that kind of stuff and i'm fairly active on a few of those but the thing is those aren't the same as in-person training you know, so I get I get a lot of docs that come through. So the, the reason that I want the two hands on is surgical extractions and and root canal molar root canals is because those are the two that I just feel like every young doc, if they can get that under their belt, it increases their services exponentially. You know, it's not like you can do a better class two. Well, you can do a class two now. But if it's something you're not doing at all, and if we can add that back for you, and then you go from doing single tooth dentistry to doing quadrant dentistry. It's like, oh, well, I can do that quadrant except for the surgical extraction, except for that molar root canal, except for, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Now I can go, hey, let's take care of those fillings. We're going to take that tooth out at the same time. We'll get that root canal done for you. You know, and so now as a young doc, you can go from doing tooth dentistry to doing quadrant dentistry. And that's obviously the first step on the way to going full mouth dentistry. So, um, yeah, I forgot the question you asked. I just... I went and ranted. <laughs> no, no, you know, you're, you're, you're on. You, you, I, my question was very simple. What, what advice would you want to share with any of our brothers and okay. sisters in yeah. dentistry? Which is for you, what to me crystallizes it. Which is, hey, there are ways that you can improve your skill set and be maybe a little more efficient in your delivery, and it allows you to maybe look at a bigger scope at at, at the same time. Yeah. The other, the other thing I would say is years ago. I heard, um, and, and by the way, Howard Fran and I graduated dental school the same year, not the same dental school. He was the first speaker I went to hear because he was on it even back then. And one of the things he said that really stuck with me was, you know, most dentists burn up their competitive drive by chasing a little white ball around and trying to drop it in a hole. How about using that to learn how to do molar canals, surgical extractions, thirds, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff, rather than this thing where you're, you know, outside chasing this ball around. Uh, and that just, I don't know, that just always stuck with me. I'm like, you know, that makes a lot of sense. And it, it takes you out of the, 
I should be good at everything because I got out of dental school and takes you put you more in the in the uh, the 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 camp of I need I can continue to hone my skill set and become better and better and better at the things I like to do in dentistry. He's a colleague and a friend and a, a, a huge to me. He's a real mentor because along those same lines, I've learned a ton and I've learned a bunch of not tos. And I think one of the mistakes that dentists make, especially ones that will say are successful. They think they can be successful in anything because they're success, success here. And yeah. I, and I remember him and I followed it to the T was, you know, focus on your business and your practice, you know, think of things that are, you're in the dental world. Like you're, you got a new business, a new venture. It's in the dental world. It's what you know. Right. It doesn't mean, you know, okay. Cause you're good at this. You can go open up a, a you know, a sports bar. I mean, yeah, <laughs> you know, or you know the golf analogy, right? I mean, it happens yeah. all the time. Well, you know, I'm into this. Well, God bless you. You know these side hustles, but if it's dentally related, it should be something you know what you should be good at. So I, I fully agree. Yeah. <laughs> Last question I want to ask you has nothing to do with dentistry. Okay, personal. If you could go back in time, anywhere, anytime, any place, do anything with anybody, where would you go? When would you go? And why? Wow. Okay. Um, I took a trip with a bunch of friends to Scotland a number of years ago. We were all like getting into scotch and that sort of thing. And we went for like, it was like a week or two. And we like traveled around. We went to the Highland Games. We stayed in a couple of castles. Um, I would go back there with friends and do that again, except make it twice as long. I'd go for a month. Um, cause that was, we just had such a great time on that, on that vacation. But so, you know, you can go back in time here. That's, that's the key. So you want right. to go back to early Scottish days and meet some of the original oh, I see. castles. I mean, you want to do oh, that? That's interesting. Yeah, that could be, that could, so my favorite invention, which no one has invented yet, but I think it would be really good is a time machine. So that like, when you went to some place you're like, oh, I wonder what this was back, like back in the day, you could like snap to there, see what it was like back in the day and then right. come back. You know, so like that would be that would be the ideal invention. So I'm giving you that opportunity. Do you want to go somewhere with it? You want to take that ride somewhere? I, yeah, yeah. I'd I'd probably look at Scotland back in the day. I think that would be a a, a fun exercise. Of course, I, I, got a chance, I would be I got a chance to visit it. Yeah, of course, I would be the king that owned the castle. I wouldn't be the peasant that was taking care of the grounds. You know, you've got to got to make those uh uh line those things up. Yeah, the view when you're the peasant, the view always looks the same. When you're when you're the king or the lord, the view can change every day. So yeah, yeah, I don't exactly. disagree. <laughs> well, hey, Doctor Aaron, I I really appreciate your time. Look forward to it. Our next one we'll we'll record in the very near future, and we'll talk more about what you've got going on because I think it's very exciting and it's a great opportunity for a lot of folks. So thank All you right. very much. Thank you for having me on. It's been a great conversation. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to the fee-for-service dentist podcast. If you would like to share your fee-for-service story, please fill out our contact form at ffsdentistry.com. Also, be sure to join our fee-for-service dentistry Facebook group. For help starting your dental membership plan, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com and membershipmastercourse.com. Finally, for help with in-house financing, visit dentalfinancingdirect.com. And don't forget, your story is what you make of it. This is your name on the door and your reputation on the line. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time.